Hi, Dr. Lee, Lisa, and Tata. This is Debbie from upstate New York. I just wanted to let you know that I'm all in in August, and I appreciate so much the time and effort you put into your podcast. I listen every single day and have enjoyed them so much. They're such a help. Thank you. God bless. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery. To get it done, you can get the show notes and more at drleewarren.podbean.com. That's drleewarren.podbean.com, and if you like the show... Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Good morning, friend. Hope you're doing well. It is early in the morning on 10th day of all in August. It's August 10th. Can't believe it. Time is flying by this year. Holy cow. So I hope that things are going well and that you're all in with us. Send us a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. If you want to tell us that you're all in or ask a question or tell us how you're all in or what you're going through or how you're struggling or any of that, um, don't forget the prayer walls out there all the time for you, wlewarnmd.com slash prayer. And hey, if you're not connected to the newsletter, I promise you, whatever you get out of the podcast, you'll get as much or maybe more out of the newsletter, the, the self-brain surgery prescriptions I write every week um, over on Substack, drleewarn.substack.com drleewarn.substack.com that's the website hey yesterday i told you um i had an amazing invitation from tina smith and the in the board of uh, north platte public schools to come and speak to them at their kind of uh, their beginning of the year event they have kind of a pep rally and get the teachers all fired up and all the staff fired up for the coming year and had a really inspirational talk by dr rose the superintendent the new uh, north platte superintendent and um the the cheerleaders and the show choir and everybody was out there in fact we saw um joseph roder alex and Jeannie, our friends um from around here their boy was in the show choir joseph did a great job and all the kids did and we're uh, really uh, amazed to be part of this community but but during that talk so I, I was invited to give a talk um and was kind of the keynote speaker and i was really honored to do that but during the talk about halfway through my my presentation um somebody in the audience i guess got overheated we were outside at the football stadium and somebody passed out um kind of had a big collapse um and damon my pa was there we both got involved i jumped over the fence and we went up and helped some other folks kind of assess what was going on and we had to take the person out and from what we hear they're doing okay so that's good news um but that kind of uh changed the dynamic of the of the event and sort of shortened things up and everybody was hot and by the time we got that squared away it was the teachers and everybody had been out in the sun for a long time and we decided to truncate 
the talk. So about a third of the way into my presentation, we had to abort. Uh, I kind of gave a really quick wrap up, but then I started getting emails yesterday and the teacher said, Hey, we really want to hear the rest of that story. I <laughs> set it up and I promised I was going to wrap it all up together. And so I thought, well, maybe I can share that with you today. And that would uh, basically, instead of our normal podcast today, we're going to have a talk about uh, self brain surgery for educators or whatever you are, whatever industry you're in, business you're in. Uh, and if you're one of the North Platte uh, educators that was there yesterday, this will be the rest of that story for you. Um, my sister Michelle's an educator. Maybe she could use it uh, for her school. And, and uh, so I thought, let's just have a conversation um, that we were going to have yesterday. Uh, and I was going to do this anyway for y'all, um, for my, my good friends here on the podcast. I was going to bring this story back to you or, or to you at some point um, and give it to you in a different format. So we might as well do it now. Listen, it's been a tough couple of years, um, especially for educators. I mean, we had We've had to learn how to do distance learning on the fly. They've had classes that weren't full of kids and masks and, and all these things that were going on that made it really stressful. 2020 and 21 and even into 22, been a difficult year. And so difficult period of time, I mean. So if you're part of that group, you know, you've got a lot of responsibility. You're trying to shepherd these kids and, and give them not only the subject matter that you have to teach them, but teach them something about life too. And, and uh, it's been tough and it's been tough individually and it's been tough collectively and it's been tough uh, emotionally and financially and every other way. So it's been a tough couple of years. And, and the bad news is I have to tell you that on top of all the things you have to be responsible for, I'm going to give you one more responsibility. I'm really sorry, but, but that's what I came to do. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm here to tell you that you have one more responsibility, and that is that you have to learn how to do brain surgery. You have to you have to learn how to do self-brain surgery, and then you have to be able to teach other people how to do it too, your, your students, your colleagues, your families. You have to learn how to do self-brain surgery. That's my task for today is to educate you, put you through medical school and residency, and teach you in about half an hour what it took me until I was 32 years old, constantly going to school to learn how to do we have to learn how to do brain surgery so like i've told you before if you listen to the podcast um my dad taught me how to do public speaking and he always he always said i didn't know until later that he got these ideas from aristotle actually but my dad said if you're going to give a speech here's what you do there's three things you got to do tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them and then tell them what you told them so here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you, and we're going to start that now. And then I'm going to tell you, and then at the end I'm going to tell you what I told you, okay? So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to convince you in about half an hour that you will have a better life, friend, if you can learn to change your mind, if you can learn to be more positive, if you can learn to strive for hope and happiness that's not tied to the circumstances of your life. And if you can learn to do all those things, you'll become what I call a hopeful soul, and you will have a better life than if you don't do those things. If, you're, if your sense of peace and prosperity and, and, and happiness and joy and, and, and fulfillment and purpose and all that is tied to having a certain outcome, and tied to having a certain set of circumstances, as soon as I get this or as soon as I marry that person or as soon as I get that degree or as soon as I get that job, then I'll be happy. You'll never be happy. The target will keep moving. And circumstances will happen that are hard. And if you don't have a hopeful soul that's not tied to circumstances, then you're going to have a hard time. And here's how I'm going to prove that to you, okay? I'm going to prove it to you by telling you a little story about the Civil War, a little story about penguins, a story about Dear Abby, some information about the neuroscience and neuroanatomy of how your brain works. And then I'm going to put all that together to teach you how to do self-brain surgery in the next 25 minutes or so, okay? 
And I'll tie them together at the end, I promise. But but let's get started. So let me tell you about the Civil War. There was a general named Buford. Who worked for, he, he was a Union general, and he was a cavalry soldier. So all his guys, about 3,000 troops, were mounted. And they got to Gettysburg before anybody else got there in July of 1863. And everybody understood from all the scouts and all the information that they had that Reynolds' first uh, corps of infantry from the Union were coming from the north. They were heading towards Gettysburg. And Lee was pushing from the south, General Lee from the south, from the Confederacy, were pushing towards Gettysburg from the south. And everybody figured that they were going to clash around the area of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. But Buford got there first. And there's a hill outside of Gettysburg that's close to a Lutheran seminary. It came to be known as Seminary Ridge. And Buford had this ability to visualize the coming fight. He visualized doesn't mean what he could see with his eyes. Buford stood up on top of that hill. And there's a great memorialization of this in the movie Gettysburg, by the way. It came from Michael Schrauss' book, The Killer Angels. But that there's a scene in there where um, Buford's up on the hill, and he can see the battle coming in his mind. He can, he can forecast what's going to happen. And the, and the scouts were telling him that Lee was likely to get there first. And he could see that whoever took the high ground was going to win that fight. And he made a radical decision. He said, we're going to lose this battle if I don't do something about the high ground. He didn't have enough men to hold it. He just needed to hold out long enough to wait for Reynolds to get there. Maybe he could stall Lee's advance long enough for Reynolds to get there with his big army and support him and take back the field. But he knew if he lost the high ground, he was going to lose the battle. And if he lost the battle, he was probably going to lose the war. And we're glad he did because historians now say that that decision for him to dismount his cavalry and dig in with about 2,300 guys because one in four had to stay behind and hold the horses, right? can't be firing guns and have your horses run off and you're not a very good cavalry. So he diminished his force, dug in on the high ground, and was actually able to hold off Lee until Reynolds got there. Took a lot of casualties, but he did it. And if he hadn't, historians now say that they believe that Gettysburg would have been won by the Confederacy and that probably would have turned the tide of the war. And we might actually have two different countries now instead of one. We might not be a United States of America if Buford hadn't been able to visualize what was going to happen if he didn't take the high ground. The high ground was critical in his success. Now, we'll come back to that, but let me tell you a little story about penguins. So Daniel Amen, my good friend, the famous neuropsychiatrist, uh, who's actually going to be back on the podcast on September 2nd. Super excited to have Daniel back. Good friend. He's endorsed my books. He's changed the world with his writing and his work. He's helped millions of people. And if you haven't read his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, you have to. It's a must. But he's written two books recently that are just really amazing game changers. And one of them is called You Happier. You Happier. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But in that book, he tells a story about one time when he took his son, his son was a little boy at the time, took him to the zoo, and there was a penguin show. And he was amazed at all the things that this penguin called Fat Freddy could do. Whatever the trainer asked Fat Freddy to do, Fat Freddy would do it. He would jump through a ring of fire. He would go fetch something from the audience. He would perform all these tricks. And it was amazing how, how great Freddy performed. And so after, it was really entertaining. Everybody had a ball. And Daniel was like, man, I, can't, I, I asked my son to do one thing, and he wants to talk about it for 20 minutes or argue with me. And this penguin will do everything he's asked to do. He wanted, wanted to know what the secret was. So he went up to the trainer. And here's what he says. So after the show, I went up to the trainer and asked her how she got Freddie to do all those really cool things. The trainer looked at my son and then at me and said, unlike parents, whenever Freddie does anything I want him to do, I notice him. 
I give him a hug, and I give him a fish. Even though my son didn't like raw fish like my sushi-loving daughter Chloe did, a light turned on in my head. Whenever my son did things that I liked, I paid no attention to him at all because, like my dad, I was a busy guy. But when he didn't do what I wanted him to do, I gave him a ton of attention because I didn't want to raise bad children, and I was inadvertently teaching him to act badly in order to get my attention. So now I collect penguins as a way to remind myself to notice the good things about the people in my life a lot more than the bad things. That's what Daniel said. Okay, we'll come back to that. Now let me tell you a story about Dear Abby. Now Dear Abby, we talked about her on the podcast recently. My last Sunday newsletter uh, was called Dear Abby Was Not a Neuroscientist. But let me just give it to you in a nutshell. Dear Abby was an advice columnist. It's still going, but it's a different lady that writes it now. And you could write letters to her in the newspaper, and she would reply. And in the newspaper column, she would answer people's questions about how they could solve the problems in their lives. John Prime, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, had passed away in 2020 from COVID, actually. And his last album was a treasure, by the way. He had throat cancer, and he recovered from that, got his voice back. It's gravelly and, and not the same, but it's just a brilliant bunch of songwriting in that last album that John Prime did. But but one of his old records, he had a song called Dear Abby. And he kind of satirized this idea of writing for advice. And he, and he writes a letter, and it starts like this. Dear Abby, dear Abby, my feet are too long. My hair's falling out and my rights are all wrong. All my friends tell me I've no friends at all. Won't you write me a letter? Won't you give me a call? Signed, bewildered. And then another guy writes and he says, Dear Abby, dear Abby, my fountain pen leaks. My wife hollers at me and my kids are all freaks. Every side I get up on is the wrong side of bed. If it weren't so expensive, I'd rather be dead. Signed, unhappy. Those are two pretty bad letters, right? Unhappy and bewildered. And Dear Abby wrote them back the same reply. She said, Dear dear bewildered, dear unhappy, you have no complaint. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. So listen up, Buster, and listen up good. Stop wishing for bad luck and knocking on wood. Signed, Dear Abby. So she basically says, hey, Stick it. Stop complaining. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. So just deal with it, right? Stop fussing about your life and just just get busy and, and stop worrying about it. Quit fretting about it. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. I'm going to tell you a story in a minute about neuroscience, but up until about 1998, neuroscientists and neurophysiologists and therapists and psychiatrists and neurosurgeons and neurologists all would have thought that Dear Abby's advice was pretty good because we were all taught up until 1998 or so, that the brain had all the cells it was ever going to have in it when you were born. And all those connections in your head were fixed, and you couldn't do anything about them. You were what you were. And you better hope that you don't hit your head or drink too much or get Alzheimer's or whatever because your life is pretty much programmed by the cells that you got in your brain. And you can't fix it, and you can't make new ones, and you're stuck with it. Okay, And the whole cognitive therapy the whole psychiatry industry the whole motivational speaking industry was all about just learning how to deal with what you got shock it medicate it therapize it find some way to rationalize it but you can't really make it better you are what you are and you ain't what you ain't we'll come back to that let me tell you something about how your brain works okay inside your head there's a couple of things you need to know that there's 200 to 600 billion with a b 200 to 600 billion cells inside your head. 
And those are connected by trillions with the T, trillions of synapses, little, little electronic connections that wire neurons together and they make them perform certain tasks more easily. You automate certain tasks in your brain by synapses. There's trillions of them. And synapses really make the way that your life works happen. Okay, synapses control all your physiology, all your hormonal stuff, all your feelings and thoughts and automated movements and actions, all programmed by synapses. And when we have a, a task in our electronic medical record that we need to do a lot, Damon and I, if we have an order that we need to write, there's a CAT scan with contrast and you need to check this lab before you do it and it needs to be done on that scanner at this time if we find ourselves writing all those orders over and over we have we call the it department and they make us a little program so we can just click one button and all those orders get executed at once and it saves us a lot of time and that's sort of like what synapses are synapses are are ways to automate behaviors or results or chemical releases or hormonal changes or something synapses are a way to automate some of the things that happen in your brain so I'm drinking a cup of coffee, so just have a little coffee. Give me a second here. I have to have a sip of coffee once in a while. Okay, so you make all these synapses. And like I said, synapses that fire together, wire together. Here's an example of that. When you were a little kid, almost inevitably, at some point, you touched a hot stove or a curling iron or something that hurt your hand. And you learned, you don't even have to think about it, but you learned if your hand starts getting close to something hot, you pull it away automatically. If you see a hot stove a burner that's red you your brain automatically says watch out don't touch that it's gonna hurt you start instinctively reaching for the knob to turn it off or making sure that the little kid can't touch it you've got an association of pain with that sensation and that pain drives you to avoid that problem and all of those things are automated through synapses okay So synapses are like little computer programs that your brain runs, and it will help you or hurt you in different ways. You can have good synapses, and you can have bad synapses, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Now, here's another thing you need to know. Your brain generally works against you in terms of the things that you think in your head. You have a constant, usually negative voice inside your head that speaks with credibility and authority, and you believe it because you think it's your own voice, okay? You have that voice because God built you that way. Again, yesterday wasn't a spiritual talk, so I didn't bring a lot of the faith versus science or faith and science stuff into it. But the fact is, I believe God created you with with the brain that you have for the purpose of protecting you long enough to get old enough to let your frontal lobes take over and help you survive. Okay, so some of these baseline programmed automated things come from your limbic system and the medial temporal lobes and your amygdala and hippocampus and those older parts of your brain that are basically just protectors and fighters and emotional parts of your brain that are designed to keep you alive and out of trouble when the dinosaurs come or the or the saber-toothed tigers or the or the bears or whatever. So so basically, your, your brain's always running these little computer programs, and you have this constant, usually negative voice inside your head that you believe. We tend to believe the voice because it's in my head, so why would I lie to myself, right? But the fact is your brain is hardwired for negativity. In fact, it's about 5 to 1, neuroscience now understands. You have about 5 to 1 negative impulses for every positive one, and that's because you're trying to stay alive in this world, right? You want to run from the bear when it shows up. You want to pull your hand away from the fire. You want to do all those things in an automated way so you get a little head start, and you might survive when the threat happens, okay? It's a survival function. And therefore, the, the problem is once you understand that you have this automated negative thinking problem, 
then you have to you have to agree with yourself that you can't take your baseline thought at face value ever. You can't. You can't just go around in your life reacting to the things that you think because most of them are hardwired to be negative and aren't necessarily accurate. And so with that said, that little bit of background, here are three absolute truths that you must believe and internalize if you want to become a self successful self-brain surgeon and overcome this negativity bias. If you want to be really effective in your own life and learn how to, to decide to respond to your thoughts instead of reacting to them, just respond to your feelings instead of reacting to them, you've got to believe me when I say the following three things. Here they are. Are you ready? Number one, not every thought that you have is true. Number two, Feelings are not facts. They are chemical events, neurotransmitter events in your brain. This is a critical thing for you to understand, my friend. It's critical because right now, especially for the teachers that are listening, it's, it's critical to understand that the society that we live in right now is working hard to make kids believe that they need to, to believe every thought and believe every feeling that they're having, that they need to make radical, life-changing decisions based on feelings, and that those feelings are always true. And it's just absolutely false. Your brain creates feelings based on neurotransmitter events that are under your control if you learn how to control them. That's the essence of what I call self-brain surgery, is learning to tell your brain, hey, that thought that I just had is objectively not true. That feeling that I have is transient, and it will likely feel different in a few minutes or a few days or a few hours or whatever. The feelings are not facts. Feelings are like little barometers, little little warnings that something's going on. And let me tell you an example of that. So I told you before about the you see the hot stove and you have this kind of immediate right immediate onset of a whole set of things that it's going to hurt it's going to burn i remember the last time i touched something like that and it was really painful that that happens because of synaptic connections connecting neurons and wiring memories in your brain so that you don't burn yourself more than once but here's the thing with the example of, of fear for example the chemical set of triggers and, and neurotransmitters that make you feel fear the problem is the brain has a limited palette of those chemicals and a limited palette of responses it can generate when a particular emotion is felt. And so that means that the the, the way you respond to the fear of a hot stove or the fear of you open a desk drawer and there's a rattlesnake in there and it's terrifying or you hear a noise and you look in the, and down the hallway there really is a mass serial killer coming down with a knife, that that type of fear chemically feels exactly the same is the type of fear when you're trying to sleep at night and you roll over and you feel a lump in your breast or under your armpit and your brain tells you that it's cancer and that feeling that rises up in the pit of your stomach and that icy chill, that that chemical event that's happening is the same. The trigger is the same that you feel fear because you fear feels like fear whether it's perceived or whether it's real, the, the event making you feel it. You see what I'm saying? The, the fear that you feel when the, when the phone dings and you're, it's at 3 o'clock in the morning and you, and you find that you have a message and you say, 
oh man, I wonder if my son made it back from the basketball game. I, I bet he died in a car accident. You get terrified until you go down the hall and you find that your kid made it home. They just didn't want to wake you and they're okay. That that text message that you got was spam, you know, calling about your car warranty or whatever. But the fear you felt was the same fear that if there had actually been a police officer at your door to tell you that your son had died. Because fear is a chemical event in your brain. It's not necessarily truth. It's just a neurotransmitter event. So what happens then is if you want to do self-brain surgery is you learn how to do what I call the bad thought biopsy. You learn how to take a thought, a feeling, an anxiety, a fear, a depression concept, anything that's happening in your brain at the time, and you say, wait a minute, before I act on that, let me let me look at it under the microscope for, for a nanosecond and decide if it's true or not. And even if it is true, I need to respond to that in a way that I'm in control of and not let these little programs run to tell me to run away or lash out or, or fight back or send an angry email or, or send a kid to detention because I'm angry and frustrated instead of working through it and giving them a fish. To, to make them notice a good behavior instead of keying on a bad one. Like you learn how to respond to those emotional and neurochemical triggers instead of just believing them. Okay. Because if you believe you really are in danger, then you're going to need to rationally make a decision how you react to that danger to make a good decision and get away from it and save yourself. Right. But if you feel fear and you react like you're in danger every time, that's not the secret to a happy marriage or a successful tenure as an educator or a successful partnership in business or anything else. Reacting to emotion instead of responding to it rationally is never a secret for a good outcome. Okay? So now remember what I said. Feelings are not facts. And number three, thoughts become things. And the more we allow negative thoughts to go unchallenged, the more physical synapses our brains form to help automate the feelings we associate with those thoughts, and they become more and more real in our lives. In other words, the more you allow a particular reaction to a, a stimulus to occur, the more it'll wire and become automated so that you start to automatically respond in that way whenever you feel a certain thing or hear a certain thing or see a certain thing. Automatically. Before you're even aware of it, you will have responded. You will have fired off an angry text or said something horrible to your spouse or, or yelled at a kid or, or whatever because you automated that response. This is how I respond when I feel that certain thing. So thoughts become things. The more you think about something in a certain way, the more automated it becomes. And you can use that truth to change your life and change other people's lives by saying, wait, instead of automating that negative response, I'm going to automate the fact that I'm going to think about my thinking, not believe it automatically, not believe every feeling. I'm going to respond to it in a way that I'm in control of. And you'll start seeing better results. And up until the late 1990s, we thought Dear Abby's advice was pretty solid. We thought you were born with all the brain cells you were ever going to have. And you better take care of them and hope you don't get sick or Alzheimer's or a head injury or drink too much or whatever. Because once you run out of brain cells, you're going to be stupid. Okay, You're going to be demented. You're going to be forgetful. You're going to be useless and not the same person that you used to be. That's how we used to think. I'm just saying how it used to be. 
But in 1998, a discovery was made. A bunch of neuroscientists formulated a theory and then proved it out with something called neuroplasticity, where we now understand that adult humans can actually make new brain cells, and even more importantly, can undo and remake new synaptic connections in their brains. It started with puzzles. They, they did puzzles, put people through these puzzles, and they saw that with imaging, they could measure increases in the size of their hippocampus, which is memory, that they, they recognized that you could actually increase the size of your brain by doing certain tasks repetitively over and over. And then it got even more spicy. In, two, in the early 2000s, they invented functional neuroimaging and functional MRI scanning and spec scanning in the late 90s and all that. It came out all these technologies that allow us to look at the actual metabolic and chemical and blood flow activity of the brain in real time. And now we can see it happening. And what they learned is the most powerful input, the most powerful factor in you generating new neurons and new synapses is not what externally is you're doing, not, not playing with a puzzle or going through physical therapy or going through rehab, but what you're doing internally, how you think has a more powerful impact on rewiring your brain than anything else does. And I can put you in a functional MRI scanner and I can say, hey, think about the kitchen when you were a kid and your grandma was baking peanut butter cookies and think about what that felt like or whatever. I've, I've taken a history so I know which questions to ask you to think about. So if you can think about it right now, there's something in your life, some moment in time you can go back to and you can feel that event happening. Like think about, for me, it's my, my grandmother would bake cookies and I, and I have right now in my mind, I can see the picture of her kitchen, the way those cookies smelled, the watering of my mouth, how they were going to taste when I ate them, and that warm feeling of family and love and support and, and peace and safety and all that stuff that goes along with that one thought of remembering her baking cookies. Now, I can see that if I put you in a functional MRI scanner, I can see that happening in real time. The blood flow changes in your amygdala and hippocampus and the metabolic activity warming up. But then the most remarkable thing is I can say now, okay, think about that time that you told me about when your dad was murdered on his way home from work. And I can see a whole different blood flow pattern emerging in your brain, different areas of metabolic activity happening. And your brain is changing in response to a negative thought. And different areas are lighting up. And it's not as healthy. And then... I can get you to think about what it feels like when somebody tells you they love you. And I can watch that change happening in your brain. And then what they did with that information, that technology being available, is then they started researching and teaching people to think about certain things and not other things. And started thinking about biopsying their thoughts. They didn't use those terms. Those are my terms. But, but the idea of think about your thinking, change it, think about something more positive, and you will see physical chemical changes in your brain that are positive. And those begin to automate. And your brain begins to rewire in that five-to-one rule where it takes five positive inputs to overcome one negative one starts working in your advantage because you're feeding your brain more fish. When you think better thoughts, you create better chemical environments, you have better feelings, you have better reactions, you make better synapses, and you have better outcomes. Your physiology improves. It's been shown clearly, no doubt about it that happier people have better brains. Happier people have higher functioning brains and they become happier by deciding to think better. Not because their circumstances improve, because they don't necessarily improve. So understand, the things I'm telling you, friend, is that your peace of mind, joy, happiness, purpose, all those things is something that you can teach yourself to have regardless of the circumstance that you're going through. 
Does that make sense? What it means is if you can think better thoughts, you can take advantage of the fact that synapses that fire together wire together, and you can literally perform self-brain surgery to change your brain and change your life. And then all of a sudden, it means old dear Abby's advice wasn't so great. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. Guess what? You're not. You can change how your brain works. You are not stuck with the brain you have. Now, I'm talking about being happier. Why does it matter? You say, I don't care about happiness. I'm teaching kids algebra. Why do I care if they're happy or not? Let me tell you, if you're most educators, I believe, because I know my sister and other people in our family who are teachers, and I've had some great teachers who made huge impacts in my life. And I can tell you, I think most of them are double agents. They're not just there to teach algebra or chemistry or home ec or baseball or golf or whatever. Most of them are there because they want to make kids have better lives, right? How to be a better person. And so let me tell you why it's important that you're happier. Every study that's ever been done has shown without any question that happier people, more hopeful people have better lives in every way that it can be measured. It's been just, I've discovered and I've written that hopelessness is deadlier than brain cancer. It's true. When I've understood, when I started studying how people suffer and what happens to them when they get bad diagnoses and what happens in their families and all that, what I realized is your diagnosis isn't the thing that determines whether you have a good life. No matter how long your life turns out to be, what determines if you have a good life or not is how hopeful you can be in spite of adversity. I saw it over and over. You can read my book. I've seen the interview if you want to see that. And my next book, Hope is the First Dose, is all about how can we take a difficult circumstance and still find hope in it and still find meaning and purpose even if the outcome isn't what we want. Okay? That's the real question. Every study that's ever looked at it shows that happier people drink less, they stay married longer, they have better success in their jobs, they have overall better quality of life, they have lower blood pressure, they take less medicine, they spend less days in the hospital. Happier people have better lives than people who are more negative. They just are. So here's, we're going to start wrapping this up. As an educator, and if you're listening to this and you're not an educator, apply this to whatever you do. You must look to take the high ground. You must visualize the coming fight when you see a new circumstance, a new group of, of students, a new school year, a new business venture, a, a board meeting that you're coming up to. Look at that and visualize it like Buford did and say, what's the high ground here? And in terms of your neuroscience, your high ground are your frontal lobes, okay? Your frontal lobes are your executives. They take that emotional brain and they can whip it into control. Your frontal lobes can calm down your limbic system and that fight or flight response and that automated negative thinking, but you have to make them engage. You have to not let those automated synapses fire every time you say, wait a minute, I'm going to look at that feeling. I'm going to look at that thought. You might have a kid that is the fifth kid in their family that you've taught and the four before them were terrible they were mean and they were bad attitudes and they never did their homework they disrupted class and they wouldn't listen and, and all that stuff and you might have this fifth kid comes in and you might look at that kid before you ever meet them and have a negative thought about them and say that kid is trouble their whole family's trouble i know exactly how he's going to act i know exactly what she's going to be like I've, I've seen it a million times before and i'm just telling you right now you're, you're in the teacher's lounge and you're saying it to your colleagues just telling you right now the first word out of that kid's mouth I'm going to send them down the hall because I'm going to set the tone right from day one with that kid that it's not going to be like it's been for the last four years with their siblings. Or you can say, you know what? 
There's something going on in that family. There's something going on in that kid's life that's making their four previous siblings have trouble. And I'm going to give this kid a chance to have some self-brain surgery. I'm going to teach that kid to think about their thinking. I'm going to reward them when they do the littlest thing that's good. Even if they just show up on time, I'm going to say, hey, thanks for being on time today. And even if they just turn in their paper on time, if it's a terrible paper, but instead of beating them up about it, I'm going to say, you know, it's great that you were able to get that done on time. Thank you. Now let me help you make it even better next time, right? You make a decision that you're going to feed that kid fish. And I'm not, please, I'm not equating kids with penguins. And I'm not saying you should just give people rewards and, and treats to make them behave better. I'm saying you start noticing the positive things that they'll do. Give them five times more praise and five times more positivity than you do negativity. And I guarantee you, most people, not everybody, most people will respond to that and they'll start feeling a little bit more hopeful because I guarantee you, if you've got four previous kids that you've taught and they were all terrible and they all had trouble, the story they tell at home is that Mr. Jones is horrible. He's going to be mean. He's going to send me down the hall. He's going to beat all, he's going to red mark everything I do. And I might as well not, you might as well not even try. It's not worth it. He's going to beat you up because he beat all of us up, right? So there's a narrative on the other side of that that you don't understand. And if you decide you're going to be smarter than that, you're not going to let it play out. You're going to be like Buford and you're going to say, you know what, Lee's going to beat Reynolds here. I might as well just ride off into the sunset and not fight this fight because we're going to lose. But instead, Buford said, wait a minute, we got to take this high ground and we got to do something radical to alter what seems to be inevitable. We got to change the future by changing our minds about it, and we're going to do something about it. We're going to get, af- get after it, and we're going to make a difference in this outcome, and you can too. So here's the thing. As an educator, you take the high ground so you can help your students defeat the enemy of negativity and believing that feelings or thoughts and feelings and thoughts are always true. You've got to defeat that in them. Teach them that everything you feel and everything you think is not automatically true. And most of the time, it's not. You've got to decide what you're going to think and make your brain feel what you want to feel. Okay, You can do it. You can create a whole different environment in your brain. Now, obviously, there's some kids and some adults and some people who have chemical imbalances, who have real anxiety and depression and medical issues, and those things need to be treated. Okay? But I'm talking about the day-to-day, every thought, every feeling, everything that happens in your head. You can either train yourself to believe that negative thoughts and negative feelings are always true and they have to be obeyed and reacted to and, and, and protected sometimes and bowed down to like little gods. My feelings are so important. You have to honor my feelings. You have to watch out for me. You have to not avoid me, not trigger me, and not offend me. You can let that be. It's inevitable. Our society is pushing it right now. But if you want to make a difference in somebody's future life and how happy they're going to be 20 years from now, you teach them that feelings aren't facts. Not every thought you have is true. And the high ground is to get your frontal lobes involved and overcome the adversity and the automated negative thinking and automated synaptic programs that are running from your limbic system and hypothalamus and and, and hippocampus and all those things that are automated to be negative. You don't have to believe them. You don't have to receive them. You don't have to react to them. You can biopsy them, think about them, and learn to understand and teach your kids that there are rewards to be had. There are benefits to pursuing positivity, good decision-making, and striving for hope. Let me tell you just some practical ones. 
If you do those things, you're going to generally make better grades. You're generally going to score higher on your on your standardized testing. You're generally going to be more successful in college or whatever career you pursue. If you're more positive and you make good decisions and you strive for hope, you're generally going to marry better and have a more peaceful home. You're generally going to be a better employee or a better entrepreneur or a better business owner or better whatever. You're going to be better if you think more positively, no matter what circumstances you face. Because when adversity comes, and it will, you've been through it the last three years, but when it comes, you can either sit down and say, I'm hosed, like Buford could have done. He could have just surrendered, right? It was inevitable. He's going to lose. He could have just sat down and quit, but he didn't. He took the high ground. He figured out a better way and responded in a better way, and he got after it. We just know now, without any doubt, that what Dear Abby said to those guys, bewildered and unhappy, is not true. You are not doomed, friend, to be what you are. It's not true that you are what you are and you ain't what you ain't. You can change your brain. You can run better programs. You can make new synapses. You can do self-brain surgery, and you can be happier. You can. At the end of the wild card, this book that the teachers read, it's a, it's a great book. I'll put a link in the show notes. So the, the North Platte School District is using it as sort of their guide this year. It's called The Wild Card. It's by Hope and Wade King, and it's seven steps to an educator's creative breakthrough. And at the very end, the last page, they said, hey, your classroom is your stage and how you perform on it, the things you bring to that stage, it's what's going to set the tone for your room and your students and your whole year as an as an educator. But I want to give you one more thought, one more responsibility. And here it is. Your, your classroom is not only your stage, it's also your medical school. And you have a responsibility to be a professor of self-brain surgery and teach these kids a better way to live by teaching them a better way to think to teach them a better way to feel and a better way to respond to those feelings. Your classroom is your medical school. It's also your operating room where you perform self-brain surgery on yourself before you decide how to respond or how to react to these kids and the challenges that they will bring you. You're in charge of the high ground if you choose to be. But don't surrender the high ground. Don't give it up because it's everything to hold the high ground you will take control of the battlefield of your own mind, the six-inch battlefield between your own ears. So I'm adding that responsibility to give you the, the call to become a medical school professor and teach these kids and yourself self-brain surgery, and it will change lives. It will change families. It will change history. It will make people become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And you can do it. In fact, you must do it, friend. But you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is, you can start today. Dear Abby, dear Abby, my feet are too long. My hair's falling out and my rights are all wrong. My friends, they all tell me that I've no friends at all. Won't you write me a letter? Won't you give me a call? Sign bewildered. Bewildered, bewildered. You have no complaint You are what you are And you ain't what you ain't So listen up, Buster And listen up, good Stop wishing for bad luck And knocking on wood Dear Abby, dear Abby My fountain pen leaks My wife hollers at me And my kids are all freaks 
Every side I get up on is the wrong side of bed If it weren't so expensive, I'd wish I were dead Signed, unhappy Unhappy, unhappy, you have no complaint You are what you are and you ain't what you ain't So listen up, Buster, and listen up good Stop wishing for bad luck and knocking on wood Sign, dear Abby Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is listener-supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. That's patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron-only episodes, and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad-free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarnmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.